This is First Curious, the podcast of new poetry reviews. I'm Benjamin Landry. Taken down from the bookshelf today is Have You Been Long Enough at Table by Leslie Sainz, published by Tin House Books in September 2023. If I had several lifetimes, I would want to learn history well. It isn't just that dates and movements and counter-movements stay with me only erratically. It's also that textbook history accounts seem to me a deceitful disservice to human experience, offering a woefully reduced distillation of the quote-unquote facts. History is not a capsule to be swallowed, a vaccination for which one might cheerfully roll up their sleeve. If the momentous events of our discreet and collective lives are a dinner party, Leslie Saints's Have You Been Long Enough at Table implies that the meal is never over. The events in our lives, of course, reorder our conception of the world in real time, but they also reconfigure our personalities, our relationships, and are transferred in overt and subliminal ways to our children. This is what makes history so treacherous and alive. In Leslie Saints's debut poetry collection, the history she attempts to evoke or exercise or understand is that of her parents, Cuban exiles who wound up in Key West and then Miami. It seems her grandmother wished Fidel a speedy death. The revolution, though, is only one of the most recent ways in which this beautiful island and its people have been scarred. There are also the deprivations of Spanish conquest and sugar plantation slavery, and of course the deep suffering caused by economic embargo following the revolution. One of the poems which most evocatively sets the scene is Sierra del Escambre, in which even a description of a beguiling tree canopy presages violence. Loud, verdant, the musculature of hanging palm, sugar damp on the shoulders. Toko, toko, tokoro, tokoro. A tragon sings in even cuts of yarn. El Guia says, red belly, white throat. El Guia says, they nest in what's left over. The sun behind the clouds twitches like a goat tail. Even the description of the lush mountain canopy is rendered ominous with its hanging posture and the cuts of ropey vegetation. The colorful tragon is exsanguinated with its red belly and white throat. The scene is both redolent and edgy, further elucidated by the following four lines. I have the dream about helicopters, about symmetry, heads not unlike mine split down the middle, as if for sharing. The toko, toko, tokoro, tokoro call of the tragon has morphed into the chop of the helicopter, a machine of war that forces the speaker to imagine their own desecration and victimhood. Victimhood and an ever-present threat of violence haunts the speaker of these poems, and perhaps the most grotesque condemnation of history is that we have come so little distance from the atrocities which leak readily from the history books. In the poem entitled at the center of the story and utterly left out, chronicling a true-life early 20th century tale of medical malpractice, infatuation, murder, and necrophilia. The speaker addresses the victim, Elena Milagro de Hoyos. Elena, 
Yesterday I saw the reddest fire hydrant imaginable. It wasn't beyond belief, but I was startled. That kind of red should only exist inside of us, I think. I wish neither of us could recognize that color. The experience of bloodletting ties the speaker to Elena, across the chasm of nearly a hundred years. Elsewhere, the speaker depicts herself as kept at the bottom of a well, or cowering at the knock of immigration authorities, as in the poem, Notice to Appear. Here the rhythm of the pounding heart echoes the insistent raps on the door. It goes doorbell, two beats, then knocking, three or more beats, or knocking, five beats, then doorbell, three times, two beats each. The very first beat disappears the front door. We abrupt. We, any way possible, silence. Beat, beat, then beat, 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 beat. We crawl to mother and father's closet, staying close to the grout. Sainz's sense of timing is effective, and we see this also in the improvised nature of stanzas and even individual words within lines with variable spacing in poems like Gusano. It's almost as though Sainz is attempting to open up room for the individual to emerge from the rigorous surface of history. My only wish is that more of the poems had followed the speaker apart from or in light of the eventful stories inherited from the speaker's relations to break open that history in a sense and track its causal effects. But perhaps this is an opportunity for a future collection from a gifted poet. One of the poems that I can still taste from this collection is the Cubist Still Life with Christ Aromatics. Listen to the energetic leaps between the concrete and the abstract, the variety of surfaces and impressions, even the sense of our having joined something already significantly underway. The night, good, is a gorgeous clone of itself. Thinking of the slick roaches defecating in the silverware trays, three times only. In two stacked plastic bags, five sour oranges pecking like past selves. The Baroque garlic. The one and a half small onions. I squint at the tip of my nose until it becomes abuelitas. Gorgeous, good night with salt pork, cumin, oregano. Salt in the machacador, softening. Poinsettias court the window, court the light. It turns out the assembly underway is of a family recipe, and the speaker's distractions and preoccupations, the business of roaches, the resemblance to the grandmother, competing with the determination to remember amounts and ingredients, and making a dish that heretofore seemed to come together, unbidden, overnight, provides a variety of shifting sensory impressions and vantages. While the memory of the cooking lesson, like the implied religious icon, or the dish itself, is something the speaker can return to again and again for comfort. It is the ongoingness of this scene, the very ways in which it resists being a still life, that I find most accomplished and intriguing. Why do we need this poetry now? In a political moment where the very study of history seems contested, work like Leslie Sainz's Have You Been Long Enough at Table reminds us that history is not a prize to be won. It is a story with macrocosmic and personal dimensions, 
and Sands's moving collection is always the type of work that we should read alongside the textbooks, since the human is the scale at which history, its shades and illuminations and reverberations, continue to register. Sands's collection is serious, flexible, and inquisitive, and I very much look forward to whatever thread she decides to follow next. That's it for this episode of First Curious. Much gratitude to Deborah Sedell for our theme music, with production assistance from Ryan Miller. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, and consider donating via the button on the Verse Curious Red Circle homepage with my thanks in advance. See you next time.